So no matter no matter how many times I see the memes for Bird Box, I immediately you know I'm reminded of the entire film in in one picture and I no longer feel anything for it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and everyone I, keeps calling Sandra Bullock a yummy mommy. And I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> I've called her that before from different movies, though. From different movies? Not yeah. From, not from fucking Bird Box. Oh. She plays but, a scary but, character. Okay, but once you're a yummy mommy, you're oh, always shit. a yummy mommy. Nah, that's you know? like Marissa Tomei. <laughs> like, she's a yummy mommy, and she will always be a yummy mommy in any fucking film. But Sandra Bullock, I don't know, man. I can't watch. I, I ain't watching Gravity with my dick in my hand. Now, you Maris, now missing, Marissa man. Tomei, I'm watching uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming with my dick in my hand. But that's also because of Tom Holland. He's a little cutie. I actually haven't seen uh, Spider-Man yet. Uh, like it was on my to-do list. Who are you? Who exactly? Like what the fuck is this? Um, it was That's on my to-do it's list. relevant to the episode. Uh, who are you? Yeah, who am I? Who are you? Uh, <laughs> who am I? <laughs> so, it, it's on, it's still on my to-do list. It's just, it's been bumped down, uh, by the holidays. Have you seen Avengers Infinity War? <laughs> no. The answer's a no, isn't it? The answer is a no. Jesus Christ, where have you been? Do you want to know something? Uh, what was the one before that? Uh, Black Panther. Oh, I haven't seen that yet either. That's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, I, I, like, started that. See, like, I, I fucking start all these movies and I never finish them. I did it with Baby Driver. I, like, watched an hour of Baby Driver on a snow day and then something came up and then it took me, like, another three weeks to finish the movie. Hmm. That's okay, though. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate because a lot of the emotional depth of Baby Driver is from, you know, like the first half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's it's, uh, it was interesting because like I I had met all the characters for like the final heist or like you know all the shit goes down, um, and like that's when I had to cut off. Oh, so shit. like I didn't realize it at the time, but I cut off at like the big transition. Yeah, when it goes from. You know, funny heist flick to kind of, like, revenge, protect your girl flick. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like, Escape from New York. Anyway, I'm, uh, this is Lots of Pasta episode 106, one, one, no, 116. <laughs> yeah, 116. I'm, I'm twisted. <laughs> so, <coughs> I'm here with... I'm here with... Where am I? And he hasn't been here in a while, but... He's graced us with his presence this evening, and um, we have a fun little thing going on that we're gonna fill fill you <coughs> fill you in with later. <coughs> Shit, and um, but we'll get to that. So calm the fuck down. And what's the first thing to talk about? We're pretty. 
I'm pretty high. I've been high for a very long time. Yeah. Um, I, I started at the wee hours of the morning and continued throughout the, the entirety of the day. I feel like I took a, a look at my Taco Bell and then I blinked and it was gone. <laughs> and the only thing I have in its replacement is pain in my digestive tract. I have I a similar <laughs> spot. And then... Um, and then I drank, like, half of, maybe half of this cider, like, really quick. And I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. And you're drinking a habanero and mango oh, yeah. cider. It's- Shout out to Mark Rooster. You, you brought that over <coughs> when we recorded episode 119, which kind of looks like the future at this point. Because this is only 116. Yeah. Yeah. If Django was here, he would be very confused about how that is possible. But, uh, how did, but how did you do it? It's I mean, 119. It's three episodes from now. How did you record that? You've always got the box <laughs> in the garage filled with the time travel stuff. It might not be finished, but it's always there. It's it's like Primer, except less rapey. Yeah, yeah. Primer was a <coughs> very indie, hush-hush film... Uh, mumblecore time traveling flick. Yeah, the first time I ever saw that was in high school. It was on some shitty back, like this um, weird website where you could like stream videos in okay. like 2006, 2007 that worked on a PlayStation. Yeah, like Daily Motion or something. Yeah, uh, and it, like there were only a few of them that worked on the, the PlayStation web browser, but this was one of them, and like they had this movie, and I was like, oh, cool, I'll give it a shot. Time and I like, yeah, I fell in love with that movie immediately. Oh yeah, it does some crazy shit. Yeah, like all that, all that time travel goodness. I also just thought it was really rapey, because it's about like two guys fucking stalking each other. Through yeah, time, through time and space. Yeah, a little bit. And I and I thought to myself, hey, if that was aimed at a woman, it would be pretty fucking rapey. But I guess they have a kind of sexual relationship at one point. Anyway. Most human beings do. I do. So, moving on. I, I, Where Am I has not seen Bird Box yet. And, uh... I don't... I don't care for it. So I'm gonna say that you can just get to it whenever you get around to it. And That's not worry enough. about it. Yeah. Um, there are more pressing things that you need to watch. Like, Infinity War. Yeah. Because it's a good fucking movie. It's the Empire Strikes Back of Marvel movies, my friend. Oh, it's so perfect. Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So was Civil War. Civil War was also like the Empire Strikes Back. Anyway, I, Marvel movies are great. Fuck DC. DC's the fucking worst. Someone well, just told me that Aquaman is the highest grossing DC flick yet, and I said, that is fucking yeah, sad. Yeah, that, that's... Ugh. Does that include, like, the... Dark, the Dark Knight Returns and shit. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. the hell? Yeah. <coughs> How weird is that? Yeah. <coughs> so I think DC needs to just give up on the movies. <laughs> because their books are better. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a comic book reader. Their I, animated movies are good. Oh, God, yeah. I watch every animated Batman movie that's ever come out I've watched. Yeah, probably. Same. Um... Ooh, how how bad was that bat mango one? The Japanese See, one? See, I was on uh, certain drugs that I'm not going to 
a, I'm not going to announce out loud, uh, but they were very, very loopy. Like, you know, I was just anything that you put in front of my eyes would have been wonderful. I actually didn't mind it. Um, just because let of the me tell you, cues. If, if you were even a little bit stoned, just just stoned, yeah, you would have realized how fucking terrible it was. Probably, <laughs> um, the writing was just god awful, and um, well, yeah, I wasn't watching it for the storyline. I was watching the colors. Like I read, yeah. I read the description the day before and went, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, and that is exactly the response you will have yeah. if you watch it. Either sober or like conscious of thought. Yeah, I guess the best way is to say that. Um, conscious of thought. Yeah, I suppose I've been on like mushrooms before, and I've just like totally lost track of what the human language is at certain points. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this uh, on this episode uh, we are starting uh, something pretty funny. Uh, I mean, it's funny to me. Um, it's funny to you. Oh, yeah, for sure. For so, sure. <coughs> unbeknownst to me, I kind of stumbled upon it, actually. Um, there's a alphabet of stories that are dedicated to Alzheimer's, or at least a protagonist with Alzheimer's. And it's kind of like his morning step-by-step recalling his life through triggering words in his memory to make him like remember certain events. And I think we're just along for the ride for what his like alphabet is in learning about this character. Like, you know, almost like we're waking up every day and we have to remember what's going on. And I think that could be pretty funny. And I think it's even funnier with you because that's kind of like what you brought to the table yeah. When we started this show. Well, I, a lot of my shows have sort of been about the the mind. Hmm. Whether it be, like, the psychological thriller of, like, you know, we have to choose a, um, a trail. A way to die. Yeah, choose our way to die to... Um, bug kids. Yeah. Kids like, in bug suits. It's... The prison. Choosing oh, yeah. The, the good and evil, right and wrong. Yeah. The whole demon in the penitentiary. So, I think it's suited. It, it's it's fitting. Um, that we as, get to as something most of my mental. Stories are. Yeah. That we get to something kind of mental. Yeah. I think that's funny. I think that's cool. We certainly have a lot to bring to the table. I think um, there's only like one other person I would want to read this series with, and that's Gestalt. And that's just because I read, like, Goatman with him, which is all about anxiety. Mm -hmm. I read Psychosis with him, which is even more all about anxiety. Bedtime is about, like, night terrors and ghosts and anxiety. So I feel like Alzheimer's is going to be, like, you know, it's going to be something he's going to want to listen to. And, um... And the reason I'm reading it with you is because your name is fucking Where Am I? And that, you know, you told us the story of your boss's father. And, um, I just think it's fucking hilarious. And that, that makes me feel terrible, but it's also funny at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> there are certainly worse places to be at in your life than where the old man was. That's true. Where did he go? Florida? Yep. He made it to Florida and back. <laughs> in a different car. <laughs> yep. He left in one car and came back in a different one. Uh, At what point do you think he physically stopped and said, 
Where am I? <laughs> oh, oh, many. You think many times? <laughs> many. I think I think he said it so many times that he got to the point where he was like, "I'm not letting them win. I'm, I'm accomplishing this without asking." <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah, I don't know how much you know about Alzheimer's, but it's a terrifying fucking oh, yeah. disease. Yeah. Terrifying. I mean, my, I, uh, my grandfather ran a nursing home for 22 years. Uh, I think everyone in our family has worked there at some point. I worked there at 16 in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, just so it wasn't, like, connected to everything. But, like, you know, <laughs> my, my grandmother is, uh, is there now currently, so I still visit from time to time. But, you know, my sisters <laughs> work there. Uh, my one sister still works there as, like, an aide or a nurse or whatever. Whatever the fuck title they she has now, because we're not gonna get into that tonight. But yeah. um, I've I've seen all of it uh, firsthand. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely something you're gonna bring to the table. I um I recently watched Seth Rogen's Hilarity for Charity, and that charity is actually for Alzheimer's, and he shows a a clip of how his uh, mother-in-law is at the, you know, the worst stage where, she, you know, she's just a fucking human doll, you yeah. know, like, and that's, that's terrifying. Like, you yeah. know, being alive without, you know, being alive, you know, not quite vegetable, but just like lack of soul. Yeah, because there's How like, terrifying is there's that? a point of it where it's almost easier. Hmm. Like... You can still function. You still understand what's going on around you. But you don't really know just, why you're there, and you're just like, oh, you know, I'm rolling with this. But you're just mute. You know, you're just yeah. flatlined personality-wise. I think that's ter- <coughs> terrifying. And I think that this story has the ability to be terrifying. Oh, and yeah. I think, you know, it's been a while since I've read an episode where I'm like, that's haunting. You know, like Alzheimer's is. Mm-hmm. So I think that that could be kind of crazy. Anyway, I think we should get into it. Do you have anything? No. You want to? Okay. Let's hop in. Do you want to start? Sure. So uh, let's let's you know let's approach it the way it was written, which is A is for Alzheimer's, and these are all from uh, Reddit No Sleep, mind you. See, so yeah, that's what a, that's what a fucking <clears throat> line is supposed to look like. So anyway, uh, let's hop into this. This is going to be a for Alzheimer's, and all of these, uh, this entire series, is from Reddit No Sleep. Dad, I nudge his shoulder, trying to get his attention. Dad, can can you finish what you were saying? <coughs> Sorry. He turns back from the window, glassy eyed like a fogged-up plane of of his hotel room. He stares at me for a long second, trying to remember who I am, then a tiny upturn in the corner of his mouth. They have good pie here, he says. So you said hotel room, and I just wanted to clarify it's actually a hospital. Oh, hospital room. Which is a little bit more more, uh, significant to, I imagine, the the plot. (laughs) So they have good pie. They have good pie here is definitely different in the context of a a hotel versus a hospital. Um, Yeah. Yeah, But they have good good, uh, pie here. 
Uh, what's what's your favorite type of pie? Me? Oh, jeez. I love a good cherry. <sighs> like, when you have a good cherry, it's, like, the fucking best. Like, I like a lot of the, the uh, fall and winter pies, like pumpkin pie, Apple. pecan pie. Apple's a good one. Apple's always a, a good choice. Um, Absolutely. If you offer me, like, just pies, like, you know, you go to a diner, typically I'm going to order cheesecake. Cheesecake. More than, like, an actual pie. Not a huge fan of cheesecake. Oh, I I would do dirty things to cheesecake. <laughs> Cheesesteaks. Cheese, anyway. Cheesesteak. Those sound good, too. <laughs> His voice breaks my heart. It's the same voice that read to me before bed, casting me off into an ocean of sleep while his thick baritone as my guide. It's the same smooth sound that made breakups and boo-boos all better as a kid. The same voice that toasted me at my wedding. I know, Dad. They have good pie. The hospital doesn't actually serve pie. I place a hand on his arm. His forearms are still thick ropes of muscle. Can you remember what you were telling me? Junior? His eyes light up like someone deep inside the black pupils of the faintest of lanterns. That was totally wrong. That's like, funny. You, you did good. Just <laughs> like say. someone deep inside the black pupils lit the faintest of lanterns. Junior, how long have you? I've been here a while, Dad. We've been talking. I smile. You were telling me about Uncle John. A shadow shades his eyes as deep as wrinkled brows dip downward. Why, why are we talking about that bastard? <laughs> you were telling me what happened. You were telling me why you two don't talk anymore. He shakes his head. Frustration. I'm losing him again. The diner, Dad. You were telling me about the diner. Something about... Every one of them, he says. He pulls his arms away and wipes a dry forehead with the, with the back of his hospital gown. The fog is creeping back into his eyes. Laying bricks ain't for the weak. His hand goes to his shoulder, massaging muscles that aren't really sore. He's almost gone, I think. Dad, the diner? I try to guide him back. The, sick, the thick southern draw of his surfaces as he talks. Twelve-hour day is her day, you know that? I nod, not really understanding. And we only got paid for eight. But it was enough. Plenty, in fact. Did you work with John back then? I ask, steering him back. You hear that, John? Boy's asking if you worked with me. He's talking over his shoulder to an empty hospital corner. The only thing you ever left was a fork to your damn mouth. He laughed, then frowns as a memory slips through. He's almost gone again. What happened at the diner? Why did you and Uncle John stop talking that day? I try to turn his shoulders back toward me, but he's so strong. He finally turns on his own accord, his head lagging a moment behind, still staring at something only he can see. Listen, pal, he says in a, t a less than cordial tone. You might want to keep them hands off me. I've lost him. Dad? The lantern is back in his eyes, faint and distant, 
but then puffed out by the fog. They got any pie today, John? He's talking to me, but looking through me at the same time. No, not today, I say. I reach down and gather my bag and my phone. I've got two missed calls from my wife. I'm already late. I'm going to go, Dad. I've got dinner plans at home. He's looking back out the window, ignoring me. I stand, put on my coat, and walk towards the door. You want me to say anything to John? He's visiting. I hadn't seen him in years. Why'd you do it? I stop, hand on the doorknob. You want me to ask him? He's staring at me, dark lucidity glowing from his brown eyes. All those people, John. Why? I take a few steps towards him. Dad, I'm not. You, were you mad because they teased you? His hands are clenched into fists. They teased everybody. He's yelling now, anger in his voice. I've never heard before. Maybe if you didn't make it so easy on them, always eating, never working. Maybe if you tried to put in one good day of honest work. I can hear the nurses hurrying down the hall. Dad, what happened? What did Uncle John do? He bares his teeth, spitting the words at me. But poison? You weren't even man enough to stand up to him face to face? You coward! The nurses are there now, restraining him, pushing him back into his chairs. But he's still so strong, but the memories seem to suck all the energy from him, draining him of life. You coward! He yells again, but the voice is distant, like he's forgotten why he's saying those words. Coward! He whispers into the window. The nurses look at me accusingly as they retreat from the room. Dad? I cross the room, kneel down, and put a hand on his shoulder. Dad, what happened? He turns towards me. His eyes are the same clarity as the fogged glass behind him. They have good pie here, he says. His eyes water and he turns back around. He's gone. I kiss his forehead and leave the building. As I'm walking to the car, I check my voicemail. You're late, my wife says. Your uncle's here early. He brought pie. Hmm. So Uncle John's got some fucking skeletons in his closet. And Papa knew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. well. I mean, I would expect Papa to, to cover up for, you know, his brother... Yeah, I gotta say, if my uh, if, if either of my brothers on the show, Spum and Cum, ever did anything wrong, I would hide them. <laughs> I would. Yeah. I would go to jail for my brothers. That's fair enough. Having said that, B is for breaking. There's blood trickling from his nose, a slow, steady stream that gets wiped across his left check. His left check, and diluted with the tears that are now flowing freely from a blackening eye. 
A crimson droplet joins a puddle of partially dried blood soaking in the thick Persian rug below his knees at the bottom of the stairs. Do you have a family? I ask. He doesn't say anything, but his head dips, answering for him. I'm assuming that's a yes. A soft whimper. More tears. I sit down on the stairs, my feet resting on the landing, and prop my elbows on my knees. I point the gun at his head. The storm is picking up outside. Rain is pouring in through the front room's broken window. The gun's heavier than I expected. It holds a weight more than just its metal. There's no clicky thing on this gun, I say. Are they all like that? No answer. In the movies, the guy always pulls that thing on the top back with his thumb that's not on this one. I inspect the gun, turning it over in my hands. You gotta cock the whole thing back. It's the whole, yeah. front, whole front top. He wipes another stream of snot and blood across his cheek with the back of a shaking hand. Hey, I say and tap the top of his head with the gun and he flinches. What's your name? He mumbles something. Say again? I ask and press the tip of the gun under his chin and lift his head. His eyes are squeezed shut. Derek. Fucking Derek. He whispers. His top lip is split. He grimaces when he talks and I can see blood on his teeth. Derek what? I ask. See, now all of a sudden the narrator is Brad Pitt in my head. <laughs> You're seeing a Fight Club thing going on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vassar, he says, and tries to move his chin away from the barrel. I push it into the soft spot under his jaw. Vassar, why is that name familiar? I remove the gun and scratch the side of my head as I think. Your dad, John, by any chance? Fresh tears spill from the closed eyes. No shit, I say. He's a good guy. I think I still have his shovel. Let him know when you see him, okay? Derek nods. His shoulders relax a little. The sobbing quiets. I place a hand on the banister, avoiding the blood, and pull myself up. There are sirens now in the distance. You're lucky these stairs are carpeted, I say. Your fall could have been way worse. I laugh and pat him on the shoulder. He doesn't flinch this time. I stand behind him and look out the broken window. Thunder cracks as Derek tries to say something. The sky wears a gray mask. He repeats himself, but the sirens are close enough to drown him out. Red and blue lights fill the room. In a brief moment of silence, he whispers, I didn't know you were home. But I was, I say, looking out the window. Lightning flashes, illuminating the street outside. The Vassar's front porch light is on. A winter wreath hangs from their door. I'm sorry, Derek says. I turn and look at him. He's nearly doubled over on his knee, sobs shake his entire body. I'm not, I say, and pull the trigger. 
<laughs> that is, it, it's not the same narrator. As no, the it doesn't seem like yeah. it is. But I hope, but I hope they all come together. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm like the the first word of the next one is I, and I'm like, well, what I is this? Like, <laughs> where are we about to go? It's C for cremation. I come from a small town where the only jobs for freshly graduated college kids stupid enough to return home are fast food and Walmart. So I practically peed myself when Anita called me out of the blue and offered me an internship. It's not the most ideal job, and it's something I have to lie about when I talk to other people, or I get a lot of really stupid questions. Does it smell in there, Cassie? Do you ever, you know, check out people's wangs? <laughs> Are you scared? But it's a weekly paycheck, and I have a chance to stay on after a year. First off, I've got two brothers, so I've pretty much seen it all. Steven used to bring home deer and rabbits, skin them right outside my bedroom window. Chad, he was normal, but he'd always show up with some freak injury that he'd be more than happy to shove in my face while I was trying to eat my Cap'n Crunch. I can safely say I, I was already fairly morbid, Midwestern girl, far before I started working at Fe Reynolds Family. <laughs> far before Did you I say started. Frank Reynolds? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, far before I started working at Reynolds Funeral Home. And secondly, you can't just turn down an offer to work in a funeral home. Forget all the dead body stuff. Being a mort tech is a cushy job. I mean, that's why they always keep it in the family. I think I work about 20 total hours a week, get paid for 40, and spend all my free time in the upstairs lounge of one of the pastel rose couches, reading my Kindle and avoiding Centaur, Anita's Mastiff, with an, with an affinity for humping my hip. Plus, did I say I make it to stay on in a year? I mean, that's like a life gig, the golden ticket. And all those other corny cliches. So when weird things happen in a mortuary, you tend to ignore them, because the perks are good. That's normal, right? Okay, so, a few days ago I got called in to prep two bodies, a mother and son poisoning, which, as sad as it seems, is a pretty big cash cow for funeral homes. We'll take a nice, soft heart attack and poisonings any day of the week, over gunshots and car wrecks. There's no physical reconstruction, maybe a little around the mouth if it happened to be a large amount of bile or, or resuscitation efforts, but it's way better than trying to jigsaw puzzles of somebody's face back together. And as in any business, two is always better than one. We're a small funeral home. You could almost call us mom and pop, except Anita's husband died a few weeks ago, so I guess we're a mom and, and random girl business. We don't have a whole lot of money for sub-freezes and heavy-duty storage, like you see on TV with the stacked drawers and stuff. We've got one positive temp storage in the basement with an old Morpic ta Mo table and three gurneys for overflow. The door to storage is one of those big steel insulated ones that seals when it's shut, so you 
latch it down, you can't hear a thing on, e on the other side, uh, which is why the noise really freaked me out. I was washing down the body. He smelled like strawberries and stomach acid. And I was lost in a thought about some teen romance I was reading when I heard a shuffling sound. I said the storage was sealed, right? Like, no sound? Because that's what I was used to. And when I heard it, let's just say I jumped over the table like I was an Olympic freaking high jumper. What the fuck? I screamed. Not the most eloquent, I admit, but it got the point across. Anita, are you messing with me? She wasn't. I mean, she never had in the past. She wasn't the type to randomly prank an employee surrounded by dead bodies. She's like a grown-up. Wednesday Adams, but less personality. I scanned the room slowly, looking at the empty corners first, then counted all the tools on the instrument cart. One saw, check. Two bone cutters, check. Two flush reactors, check. One really big pair of scissors. Nope. Seriously? I screamed. It came out much louder than I was expecting in the small room, and I raised my hands to block my ears. In my right hand, the scissors came extremely close to stabbing me in the temple. Oh, I said to no one. I must have grabbed them off the cart when I hurdled the boy. The boy. I raised the scissors up in what I thought must be an intimidating pose. Don't be moving. Don't be moving. Don't be moving. I chanted in my head. A prayer to a god or gods or whatever was enjoying this shit show. Please, please don't be moving. My eyes cut from the instrument table to the grossing station along one wall to the sealed concrete floor that concaved into a drain under the table. And then up the table to two tiny feet that shone in a waxy pink in the harsh overhead lights. The toes moved. They didn't move, Cassie. You just blinked. I stared at them for 30 seconds, wanting them not to move, but somehow, somehow hoping they would. They didn't, and I traced up the rest of the body with my eyes. Definitely dead, I thought. And then something launched itself against the outside of the door. I screamed. Of course I screamed. I screamed so loud, I looked over to see if the woman on the gurney would sit up and tell me to keep it down because she was trying to sleep. The scissors clanged to the floor. They weren't just dropped. They were propelled against the steel door. With all the force I, a person directly referenced in the insult, you throw like a girl because I am that girl could muster. Awkward. I squatted down and covered my head because I heard somewhere that that's when you do when everything goes freaking bonkers and kept screaming. On my third pause for air, I realized that everything was dead quiet. Dead quiet? Nice one, Cassie. I thought and pulled myself up off the floor. My hands brushed the fingertips of the boy on the table. I was half tempted to either hold his hand for comfort or crouch back down and start screaming again until the army or navy or freaking marines blasted through the door to, to rescue me. Daddy was a marine, I thought. Fuck, 
What would my dad think of his only daughter, crouched on the floor of an oversized refrigerator, scared of some random noises outside? The trembling in my arms slowed. My lips stopped, quivering. It's probably just Anita moving in the new table, I thought. Or maybe they're replacing the propane for the cremator. The latter was probably true. They hadn't gotten new propane in months, so we were due for a refill. Just poke your head outside, Cassie, I said to myself, and the two cold bodies beside me. Just poke your head out and see. My fingers grasped the metal latch and pulled up. Stuck. Fuck this. I'm done, I said as panic started to wash over me. And then, in some rational part of my brain, my dad said, Push down, Cassandra. I was calm again. Duh, I thought, and pushed the latch down. The door opened outward with a soft release of air. The basement of the funeral home goes the full length of the building. But the building itself is not that big. So when standing at the partially open door of the cold storage and looking out, one can see the big gaping metal mouth of the industrial furnace the house was built around 40 years ago. Brickwork lines the outside of the furnace, marred black from residual blowback after years of cooks. A rack roller, a rack of rollers stand on metal stilts and angle into the mouth, into the furnace's mouth like a long silver rigid tongue. Today the rollers were empty, but the mouth was open. Fire licked up on the inside of the furnace, casting the entire side of the building in a blue-red strobe. The black shadow inside the mouth twitched and thrashed in the flames. Twitched and thrashed. I thought I was blinking again. I thought my eyes were lying. So I stared. My head poking from behind the clean steel doors, looking across floors grooved by years of gurneys into the wide mouth of the furnace where a black object morphed into ashes and twitched. I stared until the lights from the flames hurt my eyes and, the, and left rose blooms of red on the backs of my lids when they were closed. I blinked out what I thought I saw, re-saw the image, and tried to blink it out again. Definitely twitching, I thought. Maybe it's just a cross breeze coming down through the chimney. And then it screamed. A howling, painful yell ripped from the throat of whatever burned in that fire. A scream of seizure and ecstasy. A scream both primal and knowledgeable enough to know that this sound was the last imprint it would leave on the world. A scream that gurgled with the boiling blood of its throat until nothing was left but the soft, whimpering pleas of the remaining dust. I slammed the metal door behind me and latched it slot shut. I slid to the floor and tucked my head between my knees and covered my head. I stayed in that position for what seemed like hours that could have been minutes when the marines finally came knocking at the door. Cassie? The marine who sounded an awful like... The marine who sounded an awful lot like Anita Reynolds said from outside the door, Cassie, are you almost done with the washdown? 
Almost, I found myself replying. Almost, give me another few minutes. Okay, the voice said, and then it was gone. I found myself standing, picking the scissors up off the floor and putting them back on the instrument table. I thumbed down the switch on the shower head. That wasn't really a scream, I said to the dead in the room. I mean, it was definitely not a scream, right? I took their silence as affirmation. I went back to washing the boy and his mother and never mentioned what I saw or heard. When weird things happen in the mortuary, you tend to ignore them because the perks are good. So I think now's the time where I acknowledge that I made a little bit of a mistake. I thought because the first story had to deal with Alzheimer's that this was the methodology of how, you know, because like research had shown me that, you know, someone with Alzheimer's runs themselves through a mental alphabet in order to remember about their lives or they make a song or a videotape that reminds them of, of people, you know, in their life. And I was just like, oh, this would be the perfect thing to read with you because of your Alzheimer's character, when really that was just the first story. The rest of this seems to be an ABCs of death slash no sleep fucking palooza. It's like one author just ran through the alphabet using letters for words that he would then make a little story about. And I, you know, I don't hate it, but it's definitely not yeah, it's fucking definitely Alzheimer's. Different. Yeah. It's not Alzheimer's the story, which is what I wanted. Yeah. And if anyone who's been listening to this show long enough knows that in order to preserve the secrets of the stories and in order mm-hmm. to give our best reactions, I don't proof anything. I just find what I think is interesting, copy it, and then we read it on the show. So when I saw A is for Alzheimer's, and then I scrolled to see how long this fucking thing was, I was like, wow, like, this guy's going through an alphabet of Alzheimer's shit. Yeah. So, my mistake. This is not Alzheimer's the story. This is ABCs of death through Reddit No Sleep. Anyway, I still think we should continue. It's almost, um, you haven't done an episode of, um... Not hot but spicy yet, but this is very similar to that. Not hot Mm. but spicy is something I've done with a bunch of baby ducks and Tom Bongbadil. And it's just um, people telling uh, funny anecdotal horror stories. Either they've experienced or are completely fabricated. And um, this kind of, it strikes me as that. It's not quite random no sleep stories as it is like they're all written kind of the same way and they all have like a little subject and you know mm-hmm. they don't they don't require too much thought. Yeah. Ironically, they don't require too much yeah, thought. Yeah. So anyway, um this is D is for doghouse. It was a sea of lilies and roses expanding from the center of a freshly tilled garden. I floated above them, my flannel pajamas flapping in the wind. The flowers expanded out from the center, then collapsed back in, looking through the wrong end of a telescope. Out, then in, out, then in, 
out then. They burned from a black mass in the center. Wilting petals puffed off plumes of dying smoke. The roses turned black from invisible flames, while the white lilies morphed to a bruised shade of purple and twisted around the thorned stems, choking the dying buds. The black mass in the center seized violently. It rolled back and forth, crushing the flowers on either side. Two thick black stems shot out from each side of its body like a half-bred spider. The black crust cracked. Blood-drenched tufts of brown hair pushed through the brakes while a head formed at the top. A long snout, covering in the black crust, raised itself toward me. Below the snout, a mouth opened, showing rows of broken teeth. The thing sucked in a tidal wave of air drawing me in. I fought the wind but felt myself floating into its gaping maw, and then a click in its throat as the pressure changed. Lungs, wheezing and dry, expelled rotten meat air in a violent and sorrowful howl. A warm, thin arm draped over me. Howl. The arm retreats towards my back, the hand lingering on my shoulder. Howl. Why wasn't this H for howl? The hand is shaking my shoulder now, gently rocking me back and forth, out and in. Howl. Words whisper across the back of my neck, breath mixed with a faint floral fragrance waft over my shoulder, howl. John, more flowers, more gentle rocking, howl. John, wake up. My eyes flicker. I'm tugged from a dream, a memory, consciousness seeps in through the cracks of my reality. John, she says again, her nose is nestled in the back of my hair. Her arm is still shaking me awake. John the dog. The black map. You hear that shit? Yeah. Is that the heater? No, that's hail from like outside. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Or, or rain or something. Yeah. John the dog. Great. The black mass. I think. Okay, so she's saying John the dog. Yeah, like she's like she's like, saying, hey, go check on I the dog. I thought she was calling John a dog. John, you you <laughs> hound. The black mass shakes off its crust. Four legs, mangled and broken, sway and buckle, as it tries to stand. A long snout, on a crooked head, covered in wrinkles, tilts knowingly at me. I'm awake. My eyes flutter open. The moon is bright through pulled curtains. It silhouettes the high back chair propped against the wall where Greta likes to read. It casts light down on the pile of gym shoes I refuse to put away, the guitar I pretend to play, and the little girl standing at the side of my bed. Howl. John the dog, the voice behind me reminds. 
The little girl, barely tall enough to look over the edge of the mattress, stares at me through eyes that are identical to her mother's. What is it, sweetheart? I say. Did you have a bad dream? Wrinkles wants to come inside, Daddy. Oh, <coughs> Daddy. Oh. She says and points to the open window. Greta's awake now and lifts her head from the pillow. She places a hand on Becky's cheek. Oh, honey, you know Wrinkles isn't outside. But he is, cries the little girl. He is. With these drugs. He is. He is. Daddy left him out there today. I sigh and sit up. Becky's three and weighs about as much as the doll she drags around behind her, so when she climbs up into my lap and works her way into the bend of my arm, she's as light and natural as the football I carried for all those years. I use my free hand to push the long brown hair from her face and tuck it behind her ear. She looks so much like her mother. Her older brother looks so much like me. I smile. Howl. See, Daddy? She whines. Wrinkles is still out there. I put her down and cross the room to the window. The backyard is bright in the full moon. I look out past the garden and the doghouse over our privacy fence and scan the neighbor's yards. Maybe it's the Reynolds dog, Centipede or Centimeter or... Centaur! The Reynolds. There is plot continuity! Confirmed! Yeah, yeah. Centaur. Becky corrects. And no, Daddy. Centaur's big. He barks like this. <clears throat> she makes a deep woofing sound. She smiles. Wrinkles is not as big. He barks like this. <clears throat> she howls. How? The smiles on both of our faces sink. I kneel in front of Becky and take both her shoulders in my hands. Sweetheart... That's not wrinkles, she pouts. But Daddy will go out and see who it is, okay? She nods. Greta, can you take her to back to bed, please? Of course, she says and puts on a robe. She leads Becky away to nearly identical clones walking hand in hand down the hall. I slip on a pair of shoes, pull a t-shirt over my flannel pants, and trot down the stairs. Underneath the kitchen sink, I grab a flashlight, check that it's still working, and open the back door. The dog door flaps open and shut, and sadness hits me unexpectedly. I shake it off and pull the door closed behind me. Late night dew has already settled on the grass. My canvas shoes soak in the moisture, and I can feel the coldness on my toes. To my right is the garden, empty, its flowers trimmed down for the winter months. There's a lump of dirt bulging on the backside, fresh dirt. I shine the flashlight's weak beam on the dirt and trace it down the side to a deep hole. A deep, empty hole in the middle of my garden, where we buried. John, what is it? Greta says from behind me. I spin on a heel and shine the flashlight in her face. Where's Becky? I ask. She's in her room. She says, shielding her eyes from the light. Up there. She points to the window overlooking the backyard. The light's on in her room. Becky waves. I aim the flashlight at the ground and wave back. She cannot come out here. I whisper. What is it? What happened? 
Greta's voice is rising with each word. Shh, I say. I think... I think something dug up the garden. I point the flashlight at the mound of fresh dirt, Greta gasps. It's not a big deal, probably just an animal or something. Maybe, uh, <coughs> maybe the neighbor's dog. But John, Becky can't see this. What will we tell her? What do we tell Derek? Fucking Derek! Yeah. When he gets home. They'll be traumatized. Derek, well, Derek got shot in the fucking head. We know that. Anyway, I know. I'll get my shovel back from the new guy across the street and fill it up tomorrow. She won't see anything. I put my arm around her shoulder and lead her back to the house. She's shivering. But what about Wrinkles? Was he in there? Nah, whatever dug up the hole probably took him away. The neighbor dug up the hole. That's why oh, I asked to borrow the shovel. Yeah, but why is the dog missing? Because the neighbor's a psycho. Right? Oh, was the dog just threw in the... Yeah, the dog died. Was the dog thrown in the cremata crem crematorium? Yeah. Cremation? Ooh. I'll look around the Ooh. house tomorrow and see... Howl. My blood goes cold. The howl came from right behind me, from in my yard. I push Greta towards the door and spin around. The flashlight shakes in my hand as I pan across the yard. There's no movement in the dark corners of the fences, nothing in the grass. The hole in the garden is still just an empty hole in the garden, and the empty doghouse is still just a... The doghouse pitches to the left. The painted wrinkles sign sways on a bent nail. I try to shine my flashlight into the dark entrance, but I'm too far away, and the batteries are too weak. What are you doing? Greta asks as I walk towards the squat blue house, the red paint of its roof reflecting the moon. Shh, I say, looking back at her with a finger to my lips. I'm ten feet away now. I lean over, trying to get a better view. Five feet away, the dark of the doghouse's inside starts to give way to the light. Three feet, I'm crouching now, leaning forward with my arm outstretched, the flashlight shaking violently in my hand, its light fading in and out. Two feet, I'm on my hands and knees, leaning forward into the hole. One foot, the window opens upstairs, and Becky leans out. It's okay, Daddy, she says. Wrinkles is asleep in my bed. Her light blinks out. The backyard is silent. Even the air seems to stop moving. Panic. I turn to run inside, Becky's name screaming out of my mouth, but before I can get to my feet, a hand reaches out from inside the doghouse and grabs my wrist. Shh. It says, you'll wake the baby. <laughs> How do you feel about that? That's fucking creepy. That's a, that's a pretty crazy, uh, it's a pretty crazy end of the story. Yeah. So is, uh. So there's a lot of tie-ins. There's a lot of stuff going on now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Story one, guy, Alzheimer's dad. Uh, Uncle John is a murderer <laughs> and I, I, with poison. I, the the listeners don't know this, but I I noticed right away. John from the first story was J O N. Yes. John from this story was J O H N. Correct. So, so we're not talking the same uncle. The same uncle is not who that story was just about. Yeah. This is neighbor 
this is John Vassar from across yeah, the street. Yeah, Father of Derek and Becky Vassar. Oh, yeah, because he asked, oh, are you John's son? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a nice guy. I, bar- I borrowed his shovel. Borrowed his shovel. Yeah. So, uh, this is the family from across the street. They don't know that the man across the street from them... Uh, murdered their son. Has mur- murdered their son on a different day. It was raining on that day. Um, was it raining in this story? Uh, no. Oh, the dew on the grass. That's it. Might yeah. have, it might have already happened. Yeah. The rain might have already happened. Who knows? Doesn't fucking matter. Everything is connected. Uh, they will all be returning to star in Avengers Four Endgame. E is for Ezekiel. <laughs> I'm going to take a swig of liquid before I do this. Yes. A reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 6. The congregation shuffled in their pews, pulling out Bibles to follow along. Ian McClariton? McClariton. McClariton. McClariton clear. Clear eyes. <laughs> McLaren uh, cups a hand to his ears to let out a horse. Huh? Sixth time this mass, Ian, I think. Matthew, Mr. McLaren, the book of Matthew, chapter six. He nods and thumbs through the pages. I clear my throat, adjust the bendable microphone on the dark, stained oak pulpit. And again, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There are a few amens, a handful of head nods, and one woman in the back, Miss Hearner probably, lifts a heavy hand in the air and waves a warbling, St. Paul's is a medium-sized parish with a less-than-medium-sized turnout each week. But with the few past weeks' unfortunate events, it seems more and more people are showing up for Mass. I dialed up the gospel and homily on purpose. Nothing wrong with raising a little hell, I like to say. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I continue. My voice is full of echoes off the marble columns. No traces of the cancer here, folks. A pack a day for 37 years ain't nothing if you pray all the time, I like to say. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The double doors at the back of the church swing open. An early winter sunrise glares in from outside, followed by a gust of cool wind. A wide-brim floral hat flies off the head of someone in a rear pew and rolls down the center aisle. The congregation turns to look at the black shape silhouetted by a cloudless sky that stands unmoving in the center of the archway. It walks forward, the shadow dripping away as it, as he, stops beneath a stained glass encased in light, revealing a normal-looking man 
in jeans and a blue Oxford. His sleeves are rolled to his elbows. He pauses under the light, ignores the people in the pews, and stares directly at me. The corners of his eyes wrinkle as a smile appears on his face. He nods his head as if to say, Please continue, and then takes a seat in the back pew while two ushers hurry to close the doors. I clear my throat again. The congregation takes the cue and turns back to face me. Nothing exciting about a late entrance, I like to say. Look at the birds of the air, I read, pointing towards the heavens for emphasis. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I look up from the ornate Bible. More nodding heads. The newcomer seems to have moved up a pew. He's sitting next to the Marshall family now. Maybe he knows them. Odd, I think. I think this is the killer neighbor. See, that was the first inclination that I got to. Like, the the they pastor said, doesn't recognize him. They said newcomer, so yeah. it's just, I feel like the, they've alluded to him as the new guy. Yeah. Fun. I look back down to the Bible, find my spot, and read. And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? I add a little embellishment at the last part, holding on to the span of life for emphasis. Gotta bait the fish if you want to fry, I like to say. I look up, expecting to see Mrs. Yerner testifying, but she's sitting on her hands. A gray hue molds her dark brown skin. Next to her, the newcomer sits, with his legs crossed, and an armor on the back of the pew behind the large woman. He stares directly at me, with that same frozen smile. I feel myself sweating under my vestments. And? And? I'm struggling to find my spot. Someone coughs in a near-silent church. And why are you anxious about clothing? I read. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I quickly memorize the last line and look up from the pulpit. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory... My mouth goes dry. I struggle to swallow. The newcomer has moved up two more pews. He's six rows away from me, and I can feel his stare. His smile doesn't waver. In fact, it grows as I look out at him. He doesn't blink. He doesn't move. He's like a blonde statue, just staring at me with strange eyes. What is it about his eyes? There's another cough at the, from the back of the church. The ushers are standing by the door with their heads tilted, curious as to why I'm not talking. H how long have I been silent? I clear my throat again and try to remember where I was. Even Solomon? I start, but the rest is blank. I quickly look down and find the verse. Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. 
I blurt out in a rapid screech. I look up and scan the church. He's gone. No wait, he's moved again. One more row. But this time, he's on the other side of the aisle. How did he move so fast? There's visible sweat dripping off my brow, landing on the thin pages beneath shaking hands. A soft rattle is forming in my lungs. I can feel my knees waiting to unhinge. I don't want to look down, but I have to finish this gospel. I can recite the entire homily from memory. I'll never have to look away. I just have to get through the last few verses. A trembling finger marks the line where I left off. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? I look up. He's a pew closer. He sits between Miss Reynolds and Junior Mackey now. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or, What shall we drink? Or, What shall we wear? For Gentiles seek all these, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's on the other side of the aisle, one pew closer. Dan Lafferty is pulling his toddler away from the newcomer. His wife is crying. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. I read quickly. Huh? Mr. McLaren says. I look to the first pew, and my heart stops. The newcomer sits directly in front of me. The same smile carved into an angular face. The smile doesn't reach his eyes anymore. They burn with a strange intensity that sets his face in a vibrating haze, like looking down asphalt in a heat wave. Mr. McLaren sits next to him, a hand cupped to his ear. I forego repeating myself and read the last verse as fast as possible. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. I scream, and he's there. There, right in front of me. Large hands rest on top of the pulpit. Well, manicured nails. Tap the leather binding on the book. I begin to protest in mock bravery to question how this man... This stranger could have the audacity to interrupt my sermon when I'm transfixed by his eyes. They're two different colors. One, a cold blue, like a frosted lake, and the other, a bright, nearly transparent brown that's rigid with a burning red line. Hi, hi. I start, but the man's smile grows. It grows until it reaches Portions impossible to conceive. Distorted facial features that widen on ends and collapse back on themselves like a melting wax figure propped up in front of a fan. His smile grows until rows of filed teeth clamp in an alligator smile and split tongue darts through gaps. It grows until I'm too afraid to keep looking and yet too afraid to look away. 
He smiles while the voice seeps through the thin lips pulled back on crimson gums. And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures, he whispered. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. He reached out and grabbed my shoulders, pulling me over the pulpit to him. Their legs were straight, their feet like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. He turns my head so he could talk into my ear. I can feel his teeth brushing against my skin. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. He lets me go. I fall backwards, barely keeping my feet. His head tilts as if he's studying me. And then in a soft voice, he says, You should have read that one, Padre. The cough comes with such sudden violence that I found myself doubled over, hands on my knees. Thick phlegm chokes my lungs and catches in my throat. My face goes purple as my oxygen-starved brain turns my surroundings to white. I place a hand over my mouth and retch. Two altar boys rush over and move me to, to a chair. Slowly, the cough subsides. My lungs fill back with air, and my vision returns. I look out into the congregation, where everyone sits wide-eyed and panicked, but no one moves. The newcomer is gone. I go to stand, pressing down my knees to steady myself, and see blood on my robe. I look around, but see no wounds, and then one of the altar boys mentions to my mouth. I wipe it with the back of my hand. The hand comes away, shiny red. I cough again. A thick rattle forms in my lungs, a black mass making itself known, and I know that praying won't help me, won't help anyone, ever again. That's fun. So he was talking, um, so the newcomer has some sort of supernatural ability. And, and I mean, we already gathered that he was evil, if, if it's the same newcomer from the other stories, that is. Um, but he was quoting, I think... Um, Revelation. Revelation, which is yeah. uh, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. And I think um, if he just introduced the priest to how he's going to die, then he might be death or... You know, well, con- the, conquest even. See, the priest knows that he has cancer. So is this like a cancer delusion? Like in my head, that's kind of where... I didn't think the priest knew he had cancer. Yeah, he talks about he smoked uh, a he pack said, a day for 27 and years. And he said he was cancer free. No, he said cancer couldn't kill him. <coughs> I was under the assumption that he was saying that he hadn't been diagnosed, that God had spared him through his prayer. And then this newcomer walks in and suddenly says, Haha, not what you thought. 
and he realizes he has cancer. Okay, fair enough. That's yeah. how I that's how I read that at least. Um It's interesting, you know, that one was very Stephen King. That one read me as like um the newcomers being a real Randall flag to anyone who's a fan of uh the stand. Um <clears throat> or what's his name in uh he goes by a different name in the the Dark Tower series. Um Shit. I need to find out his name. Walter. Yeah. Randall Flagg. It's Walter something. So Randall Flagg is his name from the stand. Do, 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 do. Walter O'Dim. Walter Paddock. Man, he has a lot of aliases. The Dark Man. The Man in Black. Anyway, he's meant to, you know, be like the devil. That was Stephen King's, you know, his guy. His yeah. his idea of terror is someone that no one knows walking into a city and turning it into the apocalypse because he has the power to. You know, he yeah. he's just mystically powerful. And that's the vibe I'm getting from this entire series so far is that um, a lot of fucked up stuff is going on and it's kind of unexplainable. Um but I feel like, you know, every story we read, that's just another step closer to kind of what I think what might be the entire plot. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Anyway, um, I think this next one is going to be the last one we read on this episode. But we've made it all the way to F. Yeah. So we'll start the next one with G. I feel like the introduction on the next video won't be as uh, detailed either. Yeah, I mean, it's been a... We usually talk for like a half hour most of the time. That yeah. was only 15 yeah. minutes. Uh, it's probably going to be even even less next time. But we'll we'll get back to it. We'll, we'll do the uh, the ABCs. I don't even know what to call this, really, because I was going to call it, uh, you know, the uh, the Alzheimer's, you know, thing. So it's just like, you know, maybe that'll come back. Maybe Alzheimer's dad will come back and be another plot yeah. point at some point. Well, they, they gave us a town name at one point, didn't they? Oh, and um, Junior was sitting in the church during that story. So the son, his name was Junior Mackey. So I assume Mr. Mackey is the one one, uh, who who doesn't remember anything, who has Alzheimer's. They dropped a bunch of names there, and we both Mm -hmm. know... And don't know a lot of the people. Yeah, like... Uh, McLaritan. Yeah, like, we've, we've been introduced to quite a few characters at this point. Uh, almost, like, two or three for every story, if not, you yeah. know, a little bit more than that on average. Yeah. Um, so it's... I, I wish that I had, like, a town map. Yeah. Like, I wish I was story. reading a Tolkien book, and I could just flip open the first page and go, Oh, that's where we are on the map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, I guess it's just something we're going to have to mentally keep track of. Yeah. Which is going to be tough over the course of several episodes. But, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. F is for feed. Like me when I'm high. No, 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 man. That's nothing. You want gross, man? I'll tell you gross. He takes a long drink from his beer. He's in the double digits now. <laughs> I'm going to have to drive him home. I think. If that's the case, maybe I should stop drinking. Another one, Sammy. I say to the bartender, raising a half-empty pint glass. If I'm going to have to listen to this asshole tell stories, I might as well be drunk. 
Max winks at me, sways in his seat, and then takes another gulp from his beer. Like I was saying, he slurs hiccups and then looks over both shoulders as if he's about to give over national secrets. The man behind him at the bar ignores us both. It was fucking gross, dude. Was in... Dude. Dude. Was in moth phase when we showed up. Moth phase? I ask. You know, moth phase. Like the last fucking bugs to show up to gnaw on the dead stuff. Oh. I say and nod my head. Okay, okay. So you got your necro bugs, right? Necrophagous insects. The things that sniff out dead assholes and come looking for a snack. First to show up are the flies, and there's all sorts of those. You got blow flies and flesh flies and cheese flies and your typical house flies and shrimp gumbo and shrimp kebab, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp. I try to joke. Max raises an eyebrow in confusion and takes another drink. Never mind, I say. After the flies come the beetles, and these little buggers come to eat. They'll find a hole and just burrow, you know what I'm saying? He makes a squirming insertion of one finger into his other hand's closest fist. It's almost sexual. That's when shit starts to dry out, you know, you get the mites. They'll chew on the skin when it's all leather and jerky. Turn a full-grown man into a Slim Jim. He eyes me for a second to see if I'm going to get sick, but I've heard this song and dance every dollar draft night, so I just smile and nod. And then come the moths, man. I tell you one thing, when the moths show up, it's almost beautiful. Seriously? I ask at Aya's beer. It's almost gone. Sammy slides him another. Thanks a lot, Sammy, I think. absolutely fucking lootly Max says. You walk in on one exposed corpse that's been turned into a moth buffet, and it's like thousands of little angels pulling it apart and floating up into the sky. I gotta laugh, but the man behind Max beats me to it. Max spins on his bar stool and points a finger at him. You got a problem? He asks. No problem here, buddy. The man chuckles. Your story was just, uh, entertaining. He takes a drink of clear liquid in a rocks glass. A single ice cube rattles around the bottom. Entertaining! Max's voice is an octave higher than nor normal. Entertaining! I'll have you know I'm the lead of this fine fucking city's forensics department, and I... I... Max's head cocks to the right as he stares at the man. His right hand blindly searches for the bar for his beer. Upon finding it, he says, And I'd forgotten what I was gonna say, but it would have been good. He points <laughs> He says, pointing a finger into the man's chest. Real fucking good! The man smiles. Too many teeth, I think. I'm sure it would have been brilliant, the man says, without a trace of sarcasm. Now if it's a story you want... I may be able to oblige, if you don't mind, that is. Max nods eagerly and does a half curtsy in his seat. I turn in my stool and face the bar. My beer is still full, but I motion for Sammy to pull another. I watch Max and the man in the bar's dirty mirror. The man takes another sip of his drink, smiles, the same toothy smile, and then starts. Now this might be old news to some of you, especially those in the forensics department. A wink to Max. But did you ever hear what happened to Dr. Brookstone over at Brookstone Dental? My face goes white. I can hear the blood crawl to a halt in my ears. I can see Max shaking his head like, 
No, like an idiot child. Yes, you have, I think. I'm hoping Max somehow learned to read minds in the last few beers. Well, the man continues. Is he looking at Max or me? I wonder. The mirror is too dirty to be sure. Over off the high street, there is the oldest tiny house on top of the oldest tiniest hill that has been turned into a one-person dental office operated by the oldest tiniest man, Dr. Brookstone. The name makes my skin crawl. Dr. Brookstone, being the only dentist in this wonderful city, as you may know, keeps a rather tight schedule. Why, I was just there today, wedged between last night's homecoming queen and Mrs. Gladwin and her new husband. Today, I think. And my hand goes to my hip. Yes, today, the man repeats. He's definitely looking at me this time, staring at me through a coat of dust on a cracked mirror. When the little homecoming queen finished rubbing her sore jaw and throat on her way out, I went into Dr. Brookstone's quaint little office and sat in his chair. And do you know what he asked me? What? Max asks eagerly. I wanted to slap him. He asked me if I wanted nitrous oxide, laughing gas. Good guy, am I right? The man laughs, but the smile doesn't reach his eyes that bore into me from the mirror. Max, I whisper. Max, maybe it's time for us to go? I put a hand on his shoulder, trying to turn him. Fuck off, Georgie, he says and shakes off my hand. Can't you see this man is trying to tell us a story? I of course said no. I'm not really into inebriations, the man continues, and as if to punctuate the statement, Sammy reaches over and fills the man's glass up with more water. But shit, who am I to judge the indulgences of others? He takes a drink of his water and scratches soap residue off the side of the glass with a well-manicured thumbnail. His eyes never leave me. Well-manicured thumbnail? The, uh, the pastor said the same thing mm. when, when he put his hand on the, on the thing. So it's the newcomer, right? Yeah. All right. I'm just going to keep reading him like a stony Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, fair enough. Is there a point to this story, pal? I ask. That smile again. Of course, Georgie. I was just getting there. See, I had my teeth cleaned, and I won't bore you with those details. Thanks, I interrupt. But what happened next is where the meat of this story resides. I know what happens next, you bastard, I think. What do you, you have to do with it? After me was Mrs. Gladwin, lovely lady. I got to speak with her for just a moment before my appointment. Did you know she was just married last weekend? Yes, I did, I think. Well, what happens next is all a guess, but as it turns out, blood. Everywhere there's blood. Not pools of it like I'm used to seeing in gunshot vics or stabbings, but sprays and fountains. My son would say, it looks like somebody went crazy with a red paintball gun. Not that I'd ever let him come to a crime scene with me. I can get past the blood. I mean, we're all just thin meat sacks holding in gallons of liquid, but for some reason this scene... Maybe it's the contrast of colors, the sterile room with its white furnishing and steel tooths and steel tools 
varnished in a thick coat of crimson coagulant. The pieces of filleted skin tossed about like meaty confetti. A half-digested thumb swimming in crusted bile on top of her engorged belly. Dr. Brookstone crumbled beneath the reclined chair, his fleshless arm stretched out across his lap, strips of muscle pulled away like a spit-roasted lamb, some still caught between the teeth of the extracting forceps in the other hand. He's smiling, mouth agape and drooling blood, four of his front teeth are missing. Mrs. Gladwin lays on top of the chair. Under the harsh crane light, her features are washed out in blaring white. Her eyes are rolled to the back of her head. Her mouth is stretched open with a large metal lip retractor, and her chin is draped in dried blood and bile. Slivers of the meat confetti line her cheeks and neck and hang down into her mouth. I can feel my head go loopy and see the large green tank in the corner of the room. The nozzle is broken off and giving off a near-silent hiss sound. I clear the room and have the officers close and secure the door. We huddle in the outside room, waiting for the men in masks to remove the gas. Mrs. Gladwin's husband sits in the corner, screaming, until his throat tears. What did he say? The man asks. It takes me a full minute to realize he's talking to me, huh? I say to the mirror, what did Mr. Gladwin say? I think the dentist fed my wife. I mumble. I feel nauseous. Butterflies or moths are dancing in my stomach. Max is still staring stupidly at the man. Is that how she died? By being overfed? The way he says it, so calmly, so matter-of-factly, like this is a conversation he's had a thousand times before, makes my head spin. I try to look at him to figure out who the hell this guy is, but his face is hazy in the mirror. Well, he asks again. No, she didn't die from being overfed, I said. Well, maybe in a way she did. She choked. He says and takes another drink of water. I don't know why, but I continue. She choked on his tongue. I vomit. Regurgitated beers, peanuts, and pie spill out over the bar floor. Sammy rushes over to check on me, and I wave him away. I heave three more times until my stomach is empty and then ask for a towel. I'm sorry, I say to the large barkeep. I'll clean it up. Okay, Georgie. He says with a worried grin. I turn my head to the left, and Max is looking at me, his head cocked and an evil grin spread across his face. I told you the moths would get you, he laughs. It wasn't the moths, asshole, I say and wipe my mouth. It was. I look over his shoulder, and the other man is gone. what to fucking think yeah that one was pretty creepy this dude is all uh he's all spooks he really is like randall flag have you read have you read much stephen king stephen king i have not no oh we got 30 pages that's pretty good um he's pretty much this just uh 
just this bad dude who comes in out of nowhere and starts fucking up people's lives and kind of introduces the apocalypse. You know, he's very yeah. much like a horseman of the apocalypse. People compare him to like a if there was a human form of the devil. Okay. You know, yeah. Imagine, uh, imagine if you will, you know, a devil at a crossroads. You know, taking on a human form, mm-hmm. or um, what's the other comparison? Uh, there is a old book or movie. I forget who wrote it. Um, it might even be Stephen King. Uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's about an old man who rolls up into a church and starts, you know, shouting, you know, almost omniscient accusations at all of the people in the pews, you know, of their sins and stuff. And, um, you know, it's very clear that he is a higher power judging mm-hmm. all of the humans in the church. But at the same time, he is also very clearly evil and not of God. So, yeah. you know, it's um, it's a very good versus evil harrowing tale of a town versus a, you know, a supernatural, entity. a supernatural entity. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think um, I think this story is very similar in a lot of those regards. I think yeah. this is a this is a pretty normal town with pretty normal problems that just uh, are maybe being catalyzed by some kind of fuck-headed demon entity of some kind with really great nails. Maybe the person who wrote this is just a huge fan of Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, most people who write these stories probably are. Yeah, I would imagine most people on Reddit No Sleep are big fans of Stephen King. Yeah. He, uh, he started off writing short stories, you know? Um, Carrie and... Christine and Cujo and Pet Cemetery were all, you know, short ideas he had that he just fleshed out, you know. The, mm-hmm. the, the rest of that shit ended up on uh, Creepshow and Tales from the Dark Side and all that shit. You know, he, he wrote for both of them, um, which I actually watched both of those this recent Halloween with uh, Terry the Tickler and... What's his name? Harold, Harold Heavyhands. And... Um, we thoroughly enjoyed watching all of them, and at the same time, I find myself thinking that these stories also kind of harken back to that kind of storytelling, you know? Short, concise horror story that just flows directly into the next one. Yeah. You know, have you have you ever seen Creepshow, or, or you know, no, how about, uh, how about, like, Twilight Zone? Yeah, yeah, I've seen plenty of Twilight Zone. Kind of like that. How it's all under the same hood of, you know, criticism and spoops, but at the same time, like, they all have the same feel. It's a different story, same feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's neat. What do you think about the ABCs of death that we're going through? Uh, Well, I think that there's a lot of um, broken correlations that, like... It's the type of story where, like, you read it a second time and you put things together a lot faster. Mm. Um, I did. I, I did get some various um, kind of feelings from different different media's and different properties, uh, and just like like it, you know the the Fight Club scene. I was just like, oh, you know, I'm I'm staring at uh, Brad Pitt holding the gun behind a convenience store. Yeah. Um, the puppy, that felt like something else that I had seen recently, uh, where like, you know, the they're looking for the the creature or the dog or whatever, 
And the little girl's like, oh, it's right here. But the little girl doesn't know that the thing that they're looking for is a monster. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a classic. That's a a trope. Yeah. So it just, there were a lot of different storylines that I could like, you know, okay. um, What is it? Like there's seven outlying like uh, ways to write a story. Um, Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it just it just felt like a they lot all, of it was. They all fall into stereotypes. Yeah, I think yeah. um, when you when you think about the first one, that's very obviously Alzheimer's. When you think about the second one, that's that's you know a, a break in gone wrong. Yeah. Um. The the third one, you know, that's like autopsy of Jane Doe. You know, it's just spooky shit happening at a mm-hmm. at a mortuary. Um, doghouse. That's that's pet cemetery. Like to yeah. a, to a T. Stephen King. Um, E, that was the Bible one. That's also Stephen King. That actually felt like something wicked this way comes. Like, you know, the demon strolls up into a church just yeah. to, de- just to defile God just for a little bit. And, um, in this, this last one, the, the feed, um, you know, it's, it's very, it's following a thread, but each thing thus far has been almost like stereotypical and archetypal, like evil induced madness. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like it. I can fucks with it. Yeah, they're definitely trying to get us to uh, develop uh, some type of emotional connection towards this town. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not, because yeah. I don't think I will be able to recollect. <laughs> <laughs> All of the important yeah. name drops over the course of six episodes. Yeah, like I said, I, I think that this is definitely one that, like, the second time reading it is uh, more detailed than the first. I'm sure the editing process is going to be very enlightening for yeah. me. Yeah. And hopefully, if we do enough... Um, if we do the episodes close enough together, hopefully I'll retain as much of the knowledge about mm-hmm. the prior story if I want. But you asked me a question right now that, you know, of what happened two weeks ago. I don't have an answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so. Have you have you seen the ads for Dropout? It's a, like a college humor, like, pay subscription thing. No. Okay. So it's it's just like a comedy outlet. Um, it's called Dropout.tv, and they do a game show called I'm um Actually. So okay. once a week, uh, they they put out a new episode, and basically the premise of the show is I'm gonna read a statement, like a nerdy statement to you. You're gonna tell me what's wrong about the statement that I just read. <laughs> okay. So every episode they do. Here's what we got wrong in the last episode. I feel like at the beginning of next episode, that's what we're going to do. Here's what we fucked up last time. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's, continue. that's phenomenal. I'm, I really appreciate that. Um, that is kind of what happened with Django Phillips and I as we read Baraska. You know, each part had a hefty time jump. Mm-hmm. So every time we would get to the next part, Django and I would look at each other and be like, what was the name of his sister from five years ago? And we would just, like, look at each other and be like, I don't know! And so, you know, at least it keeps the mystery afloat. Yeah. Wow, that's supposed to feel impactful, but it's pretty much completely indifferent. Yeah. That's gonna be fun, though. Um, I think the series is really promising. I think it's written well. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. written enticingly it's, enough that I don't think I'll get sick of it. 
I mean, it's got me, like, you know, sucked into the screen. Uh, I almost wanted to say, like, let's just keep fucking going. But I know that both of us have to work tomorrow. It's not even a time thing. It's just I, I want to get back to making the episodes just yeah. a little bit shorter. Because yeah. I don't know if anyone out there has listened to any of the left-right game, but tonight... Oh, fuck I did it for once. Tenron <laughs> Otrin and I get really fucking carried away with those episodes. We we have to do a recap every time before we start it, mm-hmm. and the recap always covers episodes one through whatever it takes to get there. Yeah. And right now, I think we're recording the fifth one, so it's just like fuck (laughs) there have been so there has been so much that has happened that i feel like we have to talk about and next thing you know you're at the 30 minute mark and we haven't even started reading yet Mm. and these are 40 page chapters we read 70 pages in an episode yeah you know that that's like two hours so i wanted to dial us back a little bit Mm -hmm. so that maybe more episodes at a better pace yeah, I mean, right now we're going at the uh, if if we continue to read the stories the way we have, it's it'll six probably be episodes. four, six. No, we did six today out of twenty six. That's four episodes and two stop, extra left. You gotta letters. stop thinking of it as letters. I'm telling you oh, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm telling you right now. Some yeah. of these letters have a part one, part two, part three. And you you did tell me that earlier. And I I'm just, going by page count. Okay, we read thirty pages today out of one eighty. So if we yeah. stay at the same pace. That's six episodes. Probably a better metric. Definitely a better metric. (laughs) But like I said, if some of the pages are part ones, part twos, part threes, you know, maybe it doesn't feel like maybe some of the letters are going to go like super fast. Yeah. Where other ones are going to drag on for like an entire episode, you Mm -hmm. know? So who knows? Maybe we'll have to even like uh, make some of the episodes longer than the others or make other ones shorter if they continue too much. Mm -hmm. So um, who knows? I mean, it's it's definitely... It has my interest. Um, it might not be what we initially planned, but I'm still fucking down for it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this was another happy accident. Yeah, another happy accident. I think. Uh, I think that's like the, the the name of your playlist on on SoundCloud. Where am I? Another happy accident. Yeah. Um, whenever we get together to read stories, we never have any clue what we're getting into, <laughs> and it always comes out good. Yeah. Your episodes are good. I give your episodes to a lot of people. Um, Mayhem Mountain and, and Odd Kids um, and New Fish are all really great episodes. Really great stories. If if anyone didn't know those stories that I just said, um, let me see if I can remember your episodes. Shit, we've been doing this for like three years. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, uh, okay. I think 43 is Where in the World is Track B? Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's Mayhem Mountain if you want to read the story online. Uh, great fucking story. Um, I think Odd Kids is 62, 52. I was going to say 62. I think 62. Yeah. Um, really great story. That's Odd Kids and what did I call it? Um, Odd Kids and Fun Guys. That's because we did Mushrooms that yep. episode. Yeah. That's a really great episode to, to listen to. <laughs> Um, that was a great day. It's a great. Fu- that was a great fucking night, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then the next one I would say is like seventy three. Yeah. And, and that one is called. Um, fuck! I know we read the story New Fish. Uh, 
did I call it Shaw Dank Redemption? I think I wanted to call it that. Did I end up calling it that? I don't think so. Um, anyway, look for the one with the Shawshank. I don't remember the title. <laughs> look for the one with the Shawshank Redemption uh, picture, uh, or just you know listen to Where Am I's playlist on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had an episode in the '90s. I want to say it's '91. So it was either '90 um, or '91. It's called In Your Dreams, Nerd. Yeah. And that one was about two, that one was two, so good. two good stories. One of them was about a dream man who invades your dreams yeah. and the, um, Ramuel R- Ramuel. <laughs> and the second one was about, uh, ants that eat corpses. So that, that's fun. That's good stuff. You have a wide breadth, a wide spectrum of fun stories. Yeah. And I think that this series kind of, you know, encapsulates all of those things that have come before mm-hmm. the good and evil of new fish yeah. The bug gross out shit of Odd Kids and Ant King, as well as the fun mental shit of Mayhem Mountain and uh, fucking R- Ramiel. Yeah. I, I don't know what the story was called. Uh, In your fucking dreams, nerd. <laughs> it wasn't called that. The episode was called that. Um, so I think this is perfect. But anyway, uh, this was episode 116 with. Where am I? And I, I hope you guys had, I, I hope you guys had a fucking, I hope you had a fucking blast. I hope you got a blast, like Jimmy Neutron. Oh, my asshole's got a blast from that Taco Bell. Yeah, that happens. <laughs>